You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. A lot of great things that we're going to learn tonight as we open up our Bibles. Exodus 26 as we continue our study in uh, God Redeems. If I have not met you, my name is Pastor Daniel. So excited to study God's Word with you, whether it be new in the room or online. And uh, man, we've been plowing through and studying and really taking our time because God, I believe, has been speaking to us in a powerful way as we've actually sort of slowly understood His Word. You know, sometimes it takes that. It takes some time to meditate. Don't get discouraged in your own soul when you're reading through the Bible and maybe you have to read a chapter over again. Or maybe you go three chapters one day, the next day you just do three verses. That's okay. We're on sort of that pace and journey as a church as as we study and we think, okay, Lord, what would you have for the body? How can we explain this in, in, a, in a relative way? And we're just plowing through and studying through this section, uh, the book of Exodus, and we're in this section of the tabernacle, uh, the picture that you just saw. Now, tabernacle means dwelling place, the dwelling place of God, and it's also known in Scripture as the tent of meeting. This is going to be important for us to understand because... Honestly, when you think about the tabernacle, you can confuse it with the Ark of the Covenant or maybe the showbread and the thing. And we, that's why we have these little handouts we gave in the beginning of the series. But you can find them online. You can Google images. But it actually shows you pictures of what this text does and gives you representation. The big idea is in this book of Exodus and amongst God's people that he's redeemed, he wants to be there with them. And so this is a dwelling place where God would dwell with his people, his presence would enter in, and we know in this section there's a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire guiding them. And he's right now in Exodus 26, he's giving Moses this instructions to build a tabernacle, um, which we just uh, heard, but we'll read again so you can look in your own Bible and see um, the text for yourself. Um, But the idea was the tabernacle was to be the center of the nation. Remember, God was establishing a new nation. That's why there was covenants, ordinance, law, law, rule. And God wanted to be the center of their life. And they would actually base their life upon this now new identity of being Israelites, their redemption, being set free from Egypt and being ruled by God. Now, I have another picture for you, the tabernacle. It's um, Obviously, these are all cartoony pictures, but they are pictures that do explain and sort of help you visually see that the Israelites would build the tabernacle at the center of their camp as they were traveling through the wilderness, and the 12 tribes of Israel would camp around the presence of God, this tent of meaning, this tabernacle. So think about it. When God moved, they would pack all this stuff up, and they would move with God. And then God would just stay. And they would say, okay, let's stay. And this is a beautiful picture of the Christian life because we know that the Christian life is all about following Jesus, walking with Jesus. As he leads this way, Spirit guides us, we go this way. If he goes that way, we we go that way. If he stops, we stop. If we move, he moves, we move. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And too often times we think like, okay, I got to say a prayer, I got to start a relationship with God, and then I'm on my own. No, it's a relationship with God and we walk with him. And this is the beautiful example of the tabernacle of what we had. Now, Pastor Robin did a great job opening up the section for us. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, while we were gone on vacation, he taught through um, Exodus 25 about the Ark of the Covenant, the table uh, for bread and the golden lampstand. You can get that in the archives. You can watch the video. Uh, But one cool thing that I love about this section of scripture is it all just points to Jesus. It just, it, this, all this scripture points us to Christ. And we can go so super symbolic on this text because we have liberty from the Bible to do so. Matter of fact, this is like a pattern of what heaven is and how it's actually set up for our future. And it points us to the person, our eternal life, our Savior right now. And it's something that God is able to do throughout his people that he points us to Christ through his word. And Hebrews 9, 9 actually says that the tabernacle was supposed to point us to Christ and be applied for day. The text actually says in, in chapter 9, it says, which is symbolic for the present age. So we have to do our due diligence with not only understanding the instruction, studying the scripture, but then we also have to say, okay, what is the principle as well and apply it today how does this point us to jesus as well hence we're taking a little bit longer in time but we see this from our savior himself 
If you remember, after Jesus died and then rose again, he had a resurrected body. He was walking um, out of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 24. And uh, it's a famous passage, well-known passage called the Road of Emmaus. And uh, he was, comes against these two disciples and they're talking about things. And he gives them this great Bible study. And he goes back to all the prophets and all this different stuff. And he says, it all points to me. In verse 27 of that last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus himself would tell these disciples with the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scripture concerning himself. John 5.39, he would tell, you search scripture, but you know that they all point to me. He, he, in his ministry, he would say it points to him. He didn't come to abolish the law and prophet. It points to him. And then even with his 12 disciples in the very end of that chapter, he would sort of say the same thing in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture so that they would see him because they all pointed to him. And he spoke about scripture and how it applied to Jesus. In the details and in the trees or weeds of our study and as we get the morals as we get the text and as we understand the context of this passage let us not forget jesus as we come to god every single week worshiping here at redemption church let us not forget jesus this is not just a service this is an actual meeting just like the tent of meeting to meet with god we want to meet with god tonight we want to know who he is and what he has to say. In order for us to do this, to do this is one of the ways that we do this through a discipline of prayer. You know, you could prep your heart before you come to service and ask God to speak to you. You know, that's what we do here, and that's what we do right now. So let's take time to pray. Let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can talk to you that you're a God that wants to be with us. We thank you, God, for this section of Scripture. We pray that you would anoint my words to speak in a powerful way, that we would understand in clarity in Jesus as you open the disciples' eyes. God, they needed you to do it. They were already followers of you. Lord, there are many in this room that are your beloved. They love you. They know you. But they just need your Spirit to do it, to open their eyes, to, to, to give crystal clear sound to their ears, to touch their hearts. Just like those disciples said after your Bible study, Lord, uh, didn't our hearts burn within us? God, we want a passion for you. We want to burn fire and purify our hearts to walk in holiness and righteousness in this life as we dwell with our God and walk with you. We thank you, God, how you're moving in our midst. We thank you, God, for the breath in our lungs, for how you've given us provision and family and grace and especially mercy, even when we deserve something different. God, you've been through it all with us. You're faithful through the ups and the downs, and we come in prayer and adoration. We bless those that even aren't in the room that may be going through things, that are suffering, that we know that there's a spiritual warfare going on in our minds. Would you bring us clarity? Would you bring truth? Would you exalt Jesus' spirit? And would you continue to use um, these times as we gather as a holy place, a sanctuary for your glory and your honor? And we ask this, God, in your name, believing you are here with us. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, tonight's message I'm calling the tabernacle curtains and coverings. You're welcome. <laughs> curtains and coverings, part one, Exodus chapter 26. Uh, it's going to take us maybe a, a, a two weeks, uh, maybe three, depending on next week's message. But I think I can cover this in two weeks. Um, as we start through Exodus 26 and focus on the tabernacle. And what we're actually doing is dealing with the structure of the tent. The structure of the tent. Uh, the tabernacle is actually called the tent of meeting place because it was a portable sanctuary. Sanctuary is just another word for being a holy place, something set aside. Because remember, this tabernacle or this tent um, was a dwelling place of God. It, it would move constantly. Um, and so um, in some funny way, a funny, I was just thinking about this, it sort of reminds me of pipe and drape. I'm just saying, you guys always see, it's like every, we've, we've gone now to six different locations the last 10 years, and almost every location we go to, we always have pipe and drape. It just, it, it helps us, you know? It just creates a setting. We've been in huge rooms, and we put a pipe and drape to make it smaller, you know? We put all this pipe and drape, it all looks nice to you guys, but it's just basically so we can throw all the wires back there and you don't see it. It's awesome, it helps with the setup and teardown time. Um, you know, so... It, 
it, it's actually a funny thing to think in Scripture that God cares about structures and physical spaces to worship. Now, let me show you the picture again. So this is another one uh, of the structure. And let me just break down some measurements because if you read the text and as we read it, you're going to think, uh, what is a cubic? Okay, a cubic is like one and a half feet. So the actual tabernacle um, or the to the outer tabernacle is 150 feet by 75 feet, 100 cubics long by 50 cubics long outside. But within that, there was a, a structure, a courtroom, and there was a bronze altar, a bronze laver. I always call it a basin, but a, a laver, a, a, um, and they would slaughter uh, the animals on tables oftentimes, and priests would work in the outer courts. So when we think about the tabernacle, we're saying all of it, but when I say tent of meeting, it's actually another way to define the shorter or the smaller uh, uh, tabernacle within there. And those measurements are right there. Exodus 25 talks about this, the furnishings of God's presence. And this is something important for us as we think about sanctuary and spots and, and set up and tear down, that God wants to dwell with people, but it actually matters how he dwells with that there's a practice of hospitality. There's certain things that he wanted them to do and enter in and go and participate in, and there's a structure to it. Now, there's this other tent within the outer gates uh, where the priests would work in the outer courtyard. You can say the inner part of the tabernacle. This tent that was 30 cubics long and seven and a half cubics long. Now, if you're good at math, which a lot of us aren't, we know that this calculates 1.5. It's 45 feet long, and it's 15 feet wide. Now, here is an interesting fact. There was two different parts in this holy place. There was the holy place, the most holy place. The most holy place was cut two-thirds. So there was the, there was the um, two-thirds were the holy place. One-third was the most holy place. And that was 15 by 15, and it was 15 feet high. It was a cube. Why do we know this? Why do you even talk about this? Because if you actually do some research and deep into it, you know that heaven is going to be set up like a cube, and there's some cool things that this points to in our actual future. Now, first thing I want to remind you and encourage you in is this. This point here is we sort of focus on this tabernacle and this tent of meeting that God's presence can dwell in small places. Now, I know 15 by 15 by 15 doesn't seem that small, maybe, if, you know, it's a closet. But we're talking about God who made everything is now dwelling in like a closet. That is small. The Bible says that like earth is at his footstool. Hopefully we sort of know this because we know as a smaller church that God could still move despite the size or the space that we're in. That he actually comes and dwells with his people in a very personal way. Just like the New Testament says, now we are the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God that when you put your faith in Jesus, guess where the Holy Spirit dwells? Not in the tabernacle or not in the tent. He dwells in us. A very small space, a very personal space. And this is a humbling, beautiful thing that the creator of all the earth, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the God, comes and dwells with us. Christ's Spirit. And as we study the outside structure, these curtains and these coverings, let's not forget that God works from the inside out. These small meetings between you and God, they're important. You know, Moses over and over again would go to the tabernacle and he would literally be transformed or the trajectory of the nation would be moved because they had a, he had a meeting with God. And I just think about it. Like, have you had those moments in your life? Like where you've met with the living God, where his presence has met you and has changed everything about you. This is what true salvation is, where you get spiritually born again, but as you abide in Christ, you actually have moments where maybe you just pick up your devotional time and you're thinking, okay, nothing, whatever, or you come to church, but you came to church last week and the week before, but then all of a sudden, God meets you in a special way. Those are significant. Those are things and times where you write it down, where you, where you look back at a vision you had 25 years ago and you're like, wow, it's like fresh in my mind because it's a significant moment that God moves in these small moments and these places because he's a living God and he meets us in the living, daily, mundane life. It's crazy. And he still meets with us today. I want to encourage you to pursue him, pursue his presence. 
David Guzik, when I was reading through the commentary, um, I'm going to show you an outline of this text in a minute, but one thing he said, because I thought it was really cool, he said, the plans of the tabernacle were revealed to Moses from the inside out, starting with the inner furniture and working out. Remember, that's how our study is going, right? We approach the sanctuary from the outside in, but God builds the sanctuary from the inside out. He works in his people according to the same pattern. This is what God, a lot of people think about the building and the structure and the outside. God works from the inside out. 25 was all about the furnishing of the inside. Started with the Ark of the Covenant, the showbread, the, the, all the stuff in, and now it's working out. But when we approach God, we think, well, it's the outside. The outside isn't as glorious. And there's going to be a reason for that. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isn't that a beautiful reminder that God could work in our hearts first and it actually goes from the inside out and manifests our faith to our body and the world and changes things? This is our mission to pursue and to proclaim from the inside spurred out. Now, I like what David Guzik not only said here, but his outline because it is a very hard passage and a long passage and something we're going to cover. And I want to give you this outline of the chapter so you're following along and you're understanding where we're going um, as we're plowing through it. Three sort of sections, verses 1 through 14, it talks about the four sets of curtains for the tent itself. That's what we're going to cover tonight. Now, Lord willing, depending what the study looks like, verses 15 and 30 and verses 31 through 37 are broken down in two other key things in this chapter. The framing, the framing of the tabernacle. Yes, we're, we're studying about framing and thinking about Jesus. It's incredible. You guys, I'm so pumped. You haven't even studied and did all the work. Oh, I could just sit here and just, look, it's like your eyes are just, you're just, you don't even know yet. You don't even know what I know that I'm about to communicate to you. It's incredible. Okay. And then the two barriers, the veil and the screen, you guys should be pumped and excited. Let's start with verses one through six. Now we have the video, but for our video and recording and for you to see the text, I actually want to read through it. Let's read through this fine linen curtains and the description in verses 1 through 6, and I want you to see how we can see Jesus in the Bible. Moreover, it says, you shall make the tabernacle with tin curtains of fine twine linen, and this linen would be blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim. Those are angels skillfully worked into them. The length of each cherubim shall be 28 cubics. There's where your math comes in. You've got to calculate out into feet or you could, if you want, metrics. And the breadth of each curtain, four cubics. All of the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make the loops of blue on the edge of the outer, uh, outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain. That is the second set, and the loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold. This is why they need those loops. And a couple of curtains, one to another, with the clasp, these clasps of gold, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. Now, verse 7, well, we'll stop there. The fine linen, the fine linen curtains. There are four sections in this, but we're going to take each section one by one. And um, the first thing I think when I re just read that to you um, is thank God that there are builders. I have no idea what I would be doing. And I don't know half the people in this room, if they just read that and be like, and build this. Now, thank God there are people like my father-in-law, construction management. He knows exactly how to get instruction. Uh, Robin, you know, certain things like that. So this is actually important to construct this. God gives clear direction. But sometimes we need help. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why? Because of my gifting. Because of my gifting. It says, make the tabernacle with tin curtains. Okay, I got curtains. But then like loops and clasps and sizes and matrix. And like, it's sort of like when you buy furniture at Ikea and you look at the instructions, you're like, God, be with me, please. Help me not to cuss tonight. You know, it's like, I'm just, I mean, there's some people, they love it. 
They love that. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to buy IKEA. Man, I will buy the floor model so I don't have to put that thing together, you know? But don't worry, because there's another part to play for the people that are like me, the artist. There are curtains made of fine linen, and verse 1 also says, Now you shall make the cherubim skillfully worked into them. It doesn't give specifics here. Just make something beautiful. Just do your thing. Give some talents you have, creativity. Just the artist in me loves that. It isn't a specific instruction on what these cherubim should look like, but you were to make them skillfully or with a skillful taste or style. Now, one commentator said this, the tabernacle was a tent with a frame and series of elaborate coverings. This section describes the first covering, the one seen from the interior of the tabernacle. So what God wanted in the interior, when you went to the holy place, in the most holy place, he wanted the people to be reminded and see beauty, gold, cherubim. These are crazy, good-looking, incredible, angelic beings. And we know from Revelation 4, these beings are actually crying out for all eternity in heaven, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is worthy of our praise. And this is what wanted to be communicated from the interior of the most holy place. And this would actually go on to communicate who God is because Hezekiah, in Isaiah chapter 36, verse 16, he would declare to the nation as this king in prayer, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above all the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. You didn't know the artist can communicate that to the glory of God, huh? That, that, that he would understand and see the temple and the, and, the, and the craftsmanship and the skill, and he would just be like, wow, this is who got it. This is a picture of what God wanted to teach people, his people, as the cherubim were supposed to be skillfully centered in this holy inner place, that he was a holy God, that he was awesome, that there was no one like him. And in fact, we see this in Revelation, but also throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 10, he has a vision of heaven and the glory of God. And this isn't the only time where some prophet has maybe a vision of heaven, Isaiah chapter 6, or other places where cherubim and angels are worshiping God. Because remember, we are made lower than the angels, the Bible says. But in our resurrected, resurrected bodies, we'll be given greater bodies. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 says this. Now the cherubim, describing this vision of heaven, were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in and a cloud filled the inner court and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim to the threshold of the house and was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. These cherubim are to be reminding us how awesome and holy and spiritual our God is. So these curtains and structures... They're an important part of pointing people to who God is. And yet, it took two different types of people or giftings to construct it, didn't it? One that can read this instruction with their giftings, and they would appreciate, and then God lets others say, and I've given you that gift, and you now build. There would be builders, constructors, straightforward people, they like instruction. But there would be artists, creatives, free-flowing type of people. And they would work together to bring glory to God. This is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Because we know, as Pastor Robin has already pointed out, the tabernacle describes who Jesus is. But let us not forget in the New Testament that when you put your faith in Jesus, He now dwells in you and He calls us His body his body. We are his people and we are diverse, but yet as we walk in unity together, we can actually point people to how holy and good and great our God is. Romans chapter 12 verses 5 through 6 spins it this way and says this, so we 
though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So, so we're intertwined in some way. We're, we're interdependent because we are individuals, but yet we're part of a family and having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God specifically makes people different. He specifically makes people to have unique abilities and talents. So let us use them. So what are your talents? Who did God make you? How are you using these gifts and diverse gifts to bring God glory just as they would need it in Exodus 26? We also need to be spurred on and instructed to use those things to bring God glory and to let people worship Him. As these curtains would be joined together, individual curtains, remember there are ten curtains, but they yet were built in a structure and they were bound together by these clasps. Now, Hebrews is a great book. It's so, I mean, it would probably take me five years to teach you Hebrews if it's taken me this long for Exodus. Because it's like story after story about how Christ is in the Old Testament. And we've already mentioned like chapter 9, chapter 10, certain parts. There's a, it's like running commentary of the Old Testament. It's awesome. But there's a verse in Hebrews that applies to us today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. The NIV says this. Just memorized it in my mind this way. Uh, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort. The New King James says, strive for peace. Why? Because it is there where the Lord commands and brings a blessing. When we as His body are working and function as a leg and an arm and a mouth and all with Jesus the head moving forward, there is great blessing and the body builds up one another and brings glory to God. Like Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is with brothers that dwell in unity. For there, the Bible says, the Lord commands a blessing. So one curtain or type of person wasn't enough to display the beauty of God and to build the church or to build the tent or the tabernacle or the temple. God wanted unity to do a great work and there was more than one type of curtain or person. I think we need to remember this as an important principle in, in the New Testament and thinking about the church and just how in the world there's so much strife. But it says, pursue peace. Listen, big churches are not bad. They're different. Evangelistic churches are not bad. Thank God that there's more prophetic churches or more missionary-minded churches. But together we get to do it. They're not the enemy. We're, we're, God wants diversity in the body of Christ. This is why racism is no part of the body of Christ. God brings from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Revelation 7, 9, in heaven are crying out, holy, 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 with the angels. This is why we need all countries, all nations, all generations to continually worship God and bring Him glory. And this is what the church of God does as they walk in unity or the calling they have from God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that through the church, you and I, not a structure, but people that have been redeemed, beloved by God, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me just break that down for you. You, as a Christian, as the body of Christ, you can bring glory to God, not even just in this life to other humans, but even in the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, the principalities, the powers of air, the cherubim, you actually display God's beauty just by accepting the gospel. Their angels are blown away that we even get saved. That's, that's just incredible. It's a manifold wisdom. It's a layering. It's a mystery. But yet as you walk in it, it just continually goes. And so Moses was told to make 50 clasps of gold to bring these curtains together. Gold. I wonder if this is a picture for us in that verse of Hebrews 12 to make every effort 
to strive with peace with others. You see, too often we just think about our own little section, our own little church, our own little lives, which they're important, they're a part, but they're not all of it. It's just hard for us not to think about us. But we're connected to one another in this church and with the churches in this community and in the world. And even Hebrews says those that are being persecuted right now, we should be praying for them because we are connected. You know what this is, these class, these purified class, because they would be gold, they'd be holy, they'd be a strong structure. It was a system of fellowship. It was a system of community. It, it, was, a, it was something bringing these units together. Communion. It made me think about this question for us as we study this section. What strong systems do you have in your life to connect you to other believers? Do you just think about your little curtain, your little section, our just little church? What systems do you have? Now here at Redemption Church, you know some of the systems. We have weekly rhythms of a worship service. You're at it. You're welcome. We also have community groups. We have systems throughout the week. We have prayer meetings. We have Bible studies. We have special events. You know, I, I regularly meet with other leaders in the community. I have people over just for fellowship to be connected with you. Um, I can call people. I text people. In fact, I'm part of two different pastoral groups that were, hey, praying for you this morning. Hey, praying for your service tonight. We're talking and connecting, intertwined with one another. These golden clasps were important to the tabernacle, and we see this important principle in the New Testament as the body of Christ as well. Fellowship. Koinonia. Connectivity. God wants us connected to Him, but also to other people. And we see this in the New Testament church, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. Do not underestimate the power and strength of community in your life. And do not underestimate how that could bring glory to God. For Jesus said in John 13.35, By all this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, these were just the curtains of the fine linens. There's no commentary. I was just studying. I was like, hey, that's what came to my mind. Sorry if it was a rabbit trail, but hey, I love it. It's amazing. Those were the curtains, fine linen, the next three sections, and we're going to finish with just this section, the curtains of animals. One layer of fine linens. Now we have these curtains made of goat hair, of ram skin, and it's debatable what type of outer skin it is. Could be badger, could be goat skin, could be a sea mammal, or what we would know as maybe a manatee type of skin. We'll get into it and look at it. Let's read verses 7 through 14 now. 7 through 14, the rest of these layers are these curtains and, uh, and coverings. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair, for a tent over the tabernacle, eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtains four cubits, and the eleven cubits shall be the same size. Do not get lost. You shall couple five curtains by themselves, and then six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. I'm sure that when they got this instruction reading it, they were going way slower. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain. And it that is outmost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outset on the second set. Because remember, there's these not only curtains and sets, but there's the, the, the holy place and then the most holy place. And so it's twine. That's why that video helped. Now, where am I? Okay, 11. Now you shall make 50 clasps of bronze, different than gold. But the class into the loops and the couple of the tent together that it may be single, a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubic on one side, the cubic on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned rams, 
New King James, I think, says red uh, ram skin. And then it's coverings of goat skin on top. And like I said, a lot of translations translate that goat skin a little different and weird because they really don't know which almost animal that is. So there are curtains now of animals. Wow, that was a lot of text. Can we get the picture, please? Thank you. Thank you. Here is another picture I found that shows some of these layers. Now, the first layer of linen uh, fabric with the angels you see right there over the structure. Okay. Uh, and then now it's talking about these different layers because there was three more described in this section. Fine linen. But now, remember the fine linen, if you actually see it, especially like, you know, all you, all you bougie folk with your Egyptian thread sheets and stuff like that, right? It's a little see-through sometimes, okay? The second layer is covering that. It's covering the see-through part of the linen. Second layer was made out of goatskin. We know this, it says. One commentator said the second covering was made of goatskin, producing a fabric, dark, thick, and coarse, somewhat like a felt. Somewhat like a felt. Uh, the, and this felt was a covering, and it was larger than the linen cloth, uh, it was 11 curtains, one cubic on each side and the other. Don't get lost in all that. Uh, this covering was made by joining together five and six strips of fabric, with each being about 45 feet long and six feet wide. Because they wanted to not just have it right there, but a little over. So it would cover the entire linen part. So the goat hair layer was longer, fuller, covered the first layer. Now, attention on screen or in your Bible, verse 13 this is where it talks about it. And the extra that remained, there was extra in the length of the curtains and the cubic on one side and the cubic on the other side. Remember, that's about a foot and a half. Shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. There was more to cover. There was more to cover. How was that covering? By animal skin. Animal had to die in order to have that covered. Since the goat hair's covering was wider by three feet, this layer completely covered over the fine linen. So we have the linen, then we have the goat skin. The third layer would be a tanned ram skins. It's verse 14. Some texts, like New King James, actually says ram skins dyed red, but this fabric or this layer would be more of like a Morocco leather. Morocco leather. Uh, again, uh, was yet another layer of protection and covering for the holy place or the tent of meeting. Remember, this protection was important for God's presence in this tent of meeting because of the fine linen and everything continually going up and going down. God was concerned to provide a space and protection for this sanctuary and for his people to meet. He wanted to guard that. Just like how I guard my mornings to meet with God. I have to fight for that. He wants, to, he wants to make sure not only the third layer, but then there's a fourth layer, ESV says, of goat skin on top. Now this was a durable, water-resistant outer covering. This is why some translations actually interpret like a sea cow or what we would know as maybe um, a manatee or something like that. Some say badger skin. But regardless of what type of animal skin it was, it was not particularly beautiful to look at, one commentator said, but it was extremely comfortable. Sort of like how my Bible right here is made out of goat skin. There is fine linen, or at least layers of paper, that gets protected because there is an outer layer of goat skin. Thank you, Mike, for buying me this Bible for Christmas. I love it. It was many years ago, but I still have it. It's my preaching Bible. I love it. Why? Because it has protection, because it has a layer of, of, of goat skin. Now, what's interesting is there's no specific size or arrangement mentioned in verse 14. It just says two skin layers. So with skin, with animals, with dealing with this, it could be a little long. For the lo what, what does that go? That's giving insight or wisdom, again, to a different type of constructor. You remember Paul? He was bivocational. What did he do? He made tents. He dealt with animal, with skin, with leather, these type of things. And you can stretch it, you can mold it. So it was giving freedom for that artist or that person with that skill to make it just like the linen. There were certain measurements for the goat hair, but the goat skin, well, you have that ability. 
we're going to let you do that. Okay? The focus was protection to really guard the beautiful thing inside. In fact, the outside wasn't all that beautiful, but it held up. It had a purpose. It had a plan. Again, as I was reading through David Guzik's outlet, uh, outline, I don't have this on the screen, but he said when these four layers of curtains were laid on one another, the result was a very dry and dark tint. We talked about this last week because the only light inside the holy place would be from where? The lampstand described in the previous chapter. So I wrote this down to sum this part up. The practical covering had a divine purpose. The practical covering had a divine purpose. Just like your body has a divine purpose, but very practical. Verse 11 says that there were 50 clasps, but of bronze. Did you notice that? The inside had the gold, but the outside had bronze. The focus wasn't on the beauty like gold, but bronze. And you see, gold is a picture of God's kingship. His glory, His holiness. That's why it's all surrounded by gold and all in the inside. The holy place of God's presence was linen and it was uh, covered and coated with gold all on the inside. But on the outside, it was about protection. It was about practicality. It wasn't the substance. It was about bronze. But it was still important. Because as you know, bronze in the Bible is a picture of judgment. You see, on the outside of the holy place or this tent... There was an outer court with a bronze altar, a bronze laver. The bronze altar was there for what? Where they would bring the animals to sacrifice for atone for sin. That God's judgment would be poured out upon those animals instead of the people. And the bronze laver would would be full of pure water so that the priest and people can get cleansed and purified. The outer court was again all about bronze. Bronze clasps, bronze furnishing. One commentator said, before a priest could go into the holy place, into the presence of God, first they need the blood and then the water. The atonement and the cleansing of their sins before they can get into the holy place. It wasn't spectacular and supposed to catch your eye on the outside. You were supposed to be drawn into the inside where you would see the angels and the gold and the presence and the beauty of God. You see, bronze is where God's judgment deals with sin. And only then can a person enter to the pure and holy presence of God. And this is why the outside wasn't about the aesthetics, but it was about the necessity. So the layers of the animals, well, they were there for protection, for necessity, for covering but they were to point you to the beauty because Jesus is also beautiful, but yet he came and humbled himself, left glory in a very practical sense, left his glory, Philippians 2 says, in humility and did something very practical for you and I that we could not do. He died for us. The wrath of God was poured upon him for us. Inside is where the focus, God's presence, was to be as you would look to the tabernacle. Now, how did they do this? Well, here's your picture. When you have all the coverings on the outside and the bronze, there would be the front layer. It was known as the door to enter in. Your attention would go and you would see the curtain or the covering of those angels, of the fine linen, but only on the front It was the only way in, it was the only way out, and that was actually supposed to draw your attention. The gold pillars in the front, the door, the beauty, it was like a beautiful color or display, come this way, come, meet. And the only way you get into that tent and that meeting in the presence of God was entering through the door. Let me just remind us, this is the whole point of a structure or even a church, a sanctuary a house of worship. The true beauty is Jesus and everything that we do should be all about pointing people to Jesus and his beauty because Jesus said he is the door. This is how we enter in into God's presence. And listen, there's nothing wrong with a nice facility. There's nothing wrong with materialists. It was good. It's protection. It's a necessity, but it's not the point. Jesus is the point. 
oftentimes people can get so caught up in church services or the show, the glamour, the instruction, the program, the person. The door was the main point to get to God and His presence. The door needs to be the main point in any structure, any house of worship. It's all about God's presence and leading people and pointing people to know Him. And we know, biblically speaking, this door, this beauty, this attention in the middle of the courtyard is Jesus. He declared to be the great door. In several passages, but let me draw your attention to John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters it by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Find life, find abundant life, the actual Bible says. Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to, they may have abundant life, the next verse says. Or in 1 Timothy, the apostle would tell his protege Timothy and disciple, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because he was the one that gave himself as a ransom. He was the perfect lamb of God that was poured out upon him so we can have his righteousness, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, Jesus came to take our sin and to make us pure because Jesus is the door to enter into God's presence. So all the peripheral, all the outside, all the structure, everything that we do practically should be always pointing to the door and to Jesus and his beauty. Go through the door, meet with God, just like bronze was lifted up. There's an interesting passage we won't get into, but maybe in your own time, Numbers 21. Jesus uses this passage when he says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever will believe in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. And most people memorize that and know that verse, but they don't actually see the context of that in Nicodemus and speaking. And he's speaking to a man that would know the law and the Torah. And he actually says in verse 14 that just as Moses would lift the bronze serpent and the Israelites would look upon that serpent and be saved because of their sin, Jesus said, I will be raised up as well. And those that look upon me will have forgiveness and be saved from their sin. Bronze, judgment, the cross. This is the purpose Jesus came. God placed the wrath of God on Jesus. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And just as the courtyard wasn't as glamorous or spectacular as the inner courtyard, you needed them both. So many people Neglect Jesus because it doesn't seem like he's beautiful. My friends, look at the analogy. He put on flesh and became ugly and dirty for you and I. Wrath was poured upon him so that we would have a beauty and experience. He, this is a great exchange, theologians say. So much so that he would come down and he wouldn't even be a king. He would be a humble servant. Our attention always needs to be on the door, on Jesus as he has says, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You see, just as Moses entered through this door in Exodus 33, he was called a friend of God. And just as you and I enter through a relationship with God through Jesus, we are called friends of God. We enter into a relationship spiritually being alive, born again, adopted in the family of Christ, and God wants secret, sacred, special moments with us. But we have to go through the door. Last quote from David Guzik, and we'll finish with this. Therefore, the fine linen layer, the, the heavenly set of coverings, was completely obscured and overlapping by the dark coverings of the goat hair. It was not open to observation, even in part. It was not open to observation. But heaven remained hidden to all those except those who entered in through the door of the tabernacle. Let's thank God that we could enter into his presence and enjoy heaven and God's beauty through our Savior, the door, Jesus. And let's partake in communion and remember 
that there was this great sacrifice and great humbling who God was pure and he was holy and he was majestic, humbled himself, became a man, fully God and fully man, and shed his own blood so that we can have a life and that abundant life in him. A lot of great symbolism and content in these scriptures as we read and we study through it. And we'll pick up our study of these curtains and coverings next week. But let's pray and let's partake and celebrate communion. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can enter in through you. I pray, God, for those even listening here in this room or online, that they would seek you and find you, that they would repent, that they would enjoy presence with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus. Jesus, may we have just boldness and confidence that you are the only way to salvation. Even through this scripture, it it just clearly points to you. There's only one door in and out, a relationship with with God through you, Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that it doesn't, you don't make it difficult. You open eyes, you say that if we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth, we will be saved. That all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And we could repent and we can preach this gospel and we can share in your glory and be a part of bringing glory to you as you've given us grace by the gifts and the measure granted to us. We can serve you, love you, know you, be your friend, and just enjoy your beauty. May we see more of your beauty through this text, Jesus. May we continue to look to you. And thank you, God, for giving us this great symbolism, this great content, this great message. You're a great God that can archive this, write it down, and really just control history to reveal it to generations. So Lord, would you use us in this generation? May we see your Holy Spirit move in man's hearts to save mighty. Jesus, may this church be all about you. May this community uh, be touched and impacted by true lives that are changed and transformed by you. And may we see more salvations. May we see more disciples made. And may you build our faith to know how incredible you are. You're a rewarder of those that seek you and follow you. And we want to do now that and thank you for what you've done because it is our hope is in, uh, in you that we receive eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and the Spirit now dwells in us. And so we come together and we thank you and we remember it's by your grace and your work and not our own efforts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.